I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. He's a carpenter. He's a pastor as well of a church in Toronto called The Sanctuary. We talk a lot about some pretty rooted kinds of things. How's that? We talk about poverty and affliction, exploitation, oppression, and and depression. We talk about mental health issues as a whole, and we talk about why Greg thinks he's lucky and versus fortunate. He, he he likes the word lucky over fortunate. We talk about we talk about grace and compassion and participation, and 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 what are the dangers that are connected to the idea of grace and about or our overall spiritual condition. Very interesting interview. You're going to enjoy it. There's a lot of very. Um, interesting and practical and relevant insights here so stay tuned davidpecklive.com for more information about my book real changes incremental and uh, check it out stay tuned for greg paul well welcome to face to face uh, i am in the heart of toronto today on uh, charles street east i believe at young street here with carpenter and pastor greg paul uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us today greg it's a pleasure yeah, I've been, been looking forward to doing this for quite some time, partially uh, because I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but also, too, I think there's going to be some pretty pretty interesting insights just about, hmm, living the dream. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah, I guess we got to define dream. What do we dream. mean? Is that capital D Who's or dream? small D? Whose dream are we talking That's about? That's right. So yeah. is is it by design that you were a carpenter, or is that just kind of a fluke? Yeah, a bit of a fluke, actually. You know, I um, going through high school, I didn't take any shops at all because I thought I had zero aptitude for any of that sort of stuff to call academic stuff. And then, uh, I, you know, what I wanted to do was be a writer. I wanted to write novels. And um, and uh, so I went to university, but I had, I had to have a way of uh, paying the bills to go through university. So I ended up working construction and discovered I liked it. 
and actually was good at it and um and it was a nice counterpoint to what I imagined would be my writing life, which you know turned out not as to be so, so stellar. So. so today you're still a carpenter, as I still am an electrician. In fact, I, I always I, I take a little bit of pride in telling people that I still pay my non-working dues to the IBEW Local 353. Yeah, I How's don't. That? You know, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a union guy. I never was. Get out. I'm, but, I'm calling the um, hall right now. You know, it, I guess there's some truth to it. You know, you you, you sort of uh, being a, I was a carpenter for 15 years, okay. so I did a lot of uh, a lot of fine carpentry. Did a lot ca of ca cabinet making. Was it more or not sort cabinet of? making? But you know, I, I often did built-in cabinetry in, sure. in units. But cabinet making is a bit of a um, it's kind of a machine trade. It's a production trade now. So for most people, so but I did a lot of uh, historical renovation in Markham Union. Oh, back nice. In the day. So. Um, yeah, lots of woodwork, lots of demanding creative woodwork, which is what I really loved. Uh, and, and I think it does sort of frame your sense of who you are when you do something. There's like something that for to be said, time. you know, and I mean, uh, not that when I'm looking for metaphors at 10:45 a.m. in the morning, but there's something to be said for working with your hands. And I, you know, working in the consulting field now is something that's often really intangible. When you're talking about ideas, you're at a whiteboard. I teach at Humber College, et cetera, et cetera. I like to podcast and write. A lot of times these things are kind of, you know, they're ideas. But, you know, at 3.15 on a Wednesday afternoon in July of 20, 1995, I was washing my hands after a good day's work and I'd yeah. installed 400 feet of conduit, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, we, by the way, us union guys had a saying, union electricians do it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, good yeah. for you. That's, <laughs> that's the response I was looking for. <laughs> So, so you're not you're you're still a carpenter, clearly still work with your hands. You're a musician. You're a writer. You've clearly got this whole left well, right I, brain thing going on. It should, quite should be clear. I don't work as a carpenter for pay anymore, and right. haven't for many many years. But I think you know, in your head, you still think of yourself yeah, a certain way. Of so, course, you're still a problem solver, probably so, yeah. in the same way. And you're way. right. I mean, there's there's a real. Uh, I mean, my my work is in life is with people and talking with people and being with people in a variety of ways, and it's often very difficult to figure out what kind of progress you have or have not made. Um, yeah, one of the great joys, as you just mentioned, with uh, with construction is that at the end of the day, I could say, well, I built that wall today or, you know, trimmed that room or hung that door or whatever. Working um, with people is hard to imagine. Uh, sorry, hard to measure. Exactly. And not that you yeah. have to say, oh, I'm 62% of the yeah. way there, but yeah. sometimes it's hard to know. And I think the work that we're going to talk about shortly is that you do, I think, is even more difficult, probably yeah. in some ways, to measure. Yeah, I think it is, and it and it's difficult to know what your what your personal effect has been on people. Right. You know, how much have I actually accomplished? And and um, uh, that's there's something really healthy about that too. After a while, because I think uh, that desire to know. You know what have I accomplished is rooted obviously in ego, and and when you let go of that and you are just concerned actually that somebody grows, somebody makes a better choice, somebody gets healthy, somebody um, discovers who they are in the eyes of God. Um, so let's be so let's be clear about what you do do today. So you you're, you're a pastor at the sanctuary in Toronto. You're right in the heart of the city. You've been working on. Uh, you were you were a writer. The twenty uh, that was uh, the twenty piece shuffle. Uh, Close enough to hear God breathe. You've got several several other uh, books out there. Is it fair to say you're uh, 
in the middle of it. What's it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'll let you unpack that. As I'm in the middle of the... my own life. Yes. <laughs> I was talking to my mom on the phone on the way here and um, just saying I feel Just going to get a little too personal really for lucky. my listeners, Craig? No, it's going to be okay. Excellent. Um, my mom's getting on now, but uh, she's, a, she's a woman of deep faith. And um, so I have great spiritual conversations with her. And, and I, I, I feel really fortunate. Uh, lucky is the word I use often because mm-hmm. somehow blessed doesn't seem to hmm. to nail it for me in some ways. Um, you know, I, I have a I have a great life. I love what I do. I spend my time hanging out with people who are poor, street involved. Many of them are homeless. Lots of people struggling with addictions or mental illness and and so on. Uh, so it's very elemental in some ways. Um, gets quite close to the bone when when people don't have much materially to rely on the uh, issues of life real life become pretty clear Mm. Mm. in a lot of ways and in maybe even more so when you're dealing with people who are struggling with uh, the issues I mentioned plus you know post-trauma issues and so on what 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 are the issues and I guess that's kind of where I was going when I said in the middle of it. I said it's sort of tongue-in-cheek with a bit of a smile, but with with a design, I suppose, you know, what are the real issues of life? I mean, are they different for me uh, and, and you, uh, carpenter versus electrician? Uh, you know, some, I mean, we're all in different places, sure. right? We're all in different places relationally. Some are dealing with death. Some are dealing with divorce. Others are dealing with celebration and awards and American mm-hmm. Idol wins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you're familiar, I'm sure, with Maslow and his hierarchy mm-hmm. of needs and all of that. And, and I, think, I think that hierarchy um, is pretty informative in a lot of ways. But, but I think, you know, for, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a person of Christian faith. So, so to me, it really comes back to, to my identity. Who am I as a person made in the image of God? Who is God? And how do we relate to each other? And how do I relate to the people around me who are also made in the image of the same God? Um, and I think, I think that stuff becomes um, really what's elemental in life. Um, the, there, there's lots of other stuff. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We need security. We need dignity. We need creativity. There's a pile of other things that, that we all need that are fundamental to, to how we operate as human beings. But to me, I think the fundamental issue really is one of, of identity. Who am I? Why, Who's God? Why do you believe in God when you are in the middle of it? Now, now I'm starting to understand my mm-hmm. own question even. Yeah. You know, when you see the pain, and, and maybe it's not all pain. I'm sure there's lots yeah. to celebrate as well. I'm sure, you know, I love the phrase that we live in a crazy, beautiful world. Yeah. I love that phrase. And, and I've just come uh, uh, out of a conversation or two with a few, few of my friends who are, who are uh, deep atheists and, and are on the other side of this spectrum. Yeah. And, and they seem to think they've got great reasons for not believing. Love to hear what your thoughts about that are and, and, uh, and how you unpack that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You say, I love, I love, you know, it should be on your business card. I spend time with people. That should be the tagline on your business card. It's awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the essence of what I do. And, and I think that um, 
the the raw issues of working amongst a, a you know a poor deeply struggling deeply oppressed badly battered population of, of people are are what challenges my faith most hmm. and ultimately what affir- what affirms it most hmm. so hmm. i don't think it's i don't think it's all one thing mm-hmm. and and um i really do understand why people would conclude that there is no god i get that and and when i get that most is when i'm thinking about my friends who have never had a chance and just before he got here i was reading a a file that a friend gave me of it's it's his entire life in children's aid files and when i read it i realize he, he never had a chance mm. never had mm. a chance never mm. had a, a half decent shot at life and uh, of course that set him up for all kinds of other abuses and failures along the way and and so in this moment um i or moments like this i i find myself wondering well where is how is that just where is the merciful loving omnipresent omnipotent god in all of that and um <clears throat> that would be the biggest challenge of faith for me um but on the other side of it i i realize too that the only possibility of my friends suffering meaning anything is if in fact there's a hope of redemption if there is a god who cares who's actually involved in our lives and that that finally there is some kind of justice and so this is what i believe jesus taught us i think when jesus said Blessed are the poor in spirit, for uh, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. A uh, part of what that means is is blessed are the people who uh, were were and always have been spiritually bankrupt, the people who never had a shot, because um, because they actually will be at the center of the kingdom of heaven. There's a bigger world. There's a more eternal world than this one, and and there will be some kind of of uh, justice, ultimately in that world. So, I mean, that, that's a big part of why I continue to believe. But I also see that at work. It's not, just, it's not just abstract. I see what happens in people whose lives have been totally messed up when they decide that they are going to actually trust that there is a God. Um, and it's way more constructive than the people who abandon hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a possibility of redemption. And I've seen huge redemption in the lives of people who you would think and I would think have every reason to ditch uh, the idea of a loving God. Possibility of hope's a great phrase. It's also a great documentary, by the way, yeah. by Alfonso Cuaron. It's got a whole, the world is a, a going to hell in a handbasket, but kind of ends on this hopeful notion that I would call incredibly redemptive. Uh, um, I don't know if you saw the film Children of Men, but kind yeah. of appropriate actually to our conversation. And the, yeah. the theme of the film is the human race is no longer able to have kids. And slowly, it's dying off. Hmm. And where's the oh, hope yeah, in yeah, that? And where's um, the grace in that? Clive Owen. Clive right? Owen. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Dark, dystopic kind of yeah. science fictiony. I yeah. love the film. One of my yeah. faves in the last twenty-five years. But but the doc there, possibility of hope. Yes, it's a friggin' mess. But there are redemptive aspects and yeah. qualities and so on. Yeah. If if you were sorry for the phrase, just a carpenter, and not a man of faith. I guess you wouldn't be a pastor, I suppose. Hope not. Yeah. Would <laughs> would you do you think and it's almost in a way just a thought experiment, I suppose, 
would you be pursuing a similar uh, approach? Would you be uh, giving back? Would you be attending to those that are oppressed and, and exploited uh, around you in some way, shape, or form through your rotary or your food bank? Or, um, or do you think that's an integral part of, of why you do what you do? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, um, I, I, for some reason, I've had a sense of calling, for lack of hmm. a better term, yeah. since I was yeah. a kid. It's good. So, so the spiritual life has always been important to me since I was a child. So when I was a carpenter, it was important to me. It wasn't just that I, you know, switched gears and came and, and did, did this sort of thing. So I think if I'd grown up like that and decided instead of getting into what I do now to to uh, to build a carpentry business and a construction business and so on. Um, I hope that that I would would actually be looking around. I hope that it wouldn't by this point have just sort of put my head down and and focused on patting my own nest. Um, I know people who have done both. You know, I know people who are Christians who have become very successful business people, and the only expression of their Christian faith appears to be that you know they're decent people, but they go to church on Sundays mm-hmm. and they just do their work the rest mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. But then I also know people who, um, who have, uh, who, who do everything from, you know, market analysis and investment to people who are running construction firms, for instance, who've made it their business to to actually um, care for the world around them, to give back to the world around them, and, and what I would, the way I would describe it as a follower of Jesus is that they are they are actually enacting the kingdom of God in their lives. Uh, some people do that by saying, you know, what I'm really good at is making money. So I'm going to make money and I'm going to give a ton of it away to, to places that actually care for people who don't have enough. Other people say, I've got this little business and I'm going to make sure that I, I hire some people who wouldn't get a job otherwise. And everything in between. You know? uh, what was the phrase you used? Enacting out the kingdom in their lives? Yeah, they're enacting the kingdom of God in their lives. They're living it what out. A, what about the humanist? Mm-hmm. who doesn't seem to have a faith of, or at least a spiritual faith, has faith yeah. in other things without a doubt, which is always, I always find those conversations kind of comical when, yeah, no, I, I don't have faith. And, yeah. well, actually, you kind of do. We need to unpack what that actually means. But they don't necessarily have a religious faith, yeah. right? Um, are they also, in your, would you say, enacting out the kingdom of God through the good works that they're doing, through yeah, the action? You know, maybe they are you know i'm i'm not judge of, of any of this stuff i i have a great admiration for people who uh, who are atheists and who do good stuff who continue through the course of their lives to to do good stuff i don't know where that motivation comes from in them mm. um and so you know i don't think i personally could sustain that as an atheist mm. so i have mm. a lot of admiration mm. for people who can and do i don't i don't pretend to understand it I would say that, that because I believe, as, as the biblical writer John says, that God is love, that uh, every love is God's love. So whether it's an atheist doing the loving or uh, um, a Muslim person or a Hindu person or, or a Christian person, you know, whether it's uh, a jihadist who, who takes care of his wife and children before going off yeah. to blow himself up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, wherever that love... Where did that love where, come Wherever from? that love is, oh, the it's, so, it's source, ask. I believe, is God. Mm. So, yeah, I think, I think God is speaking everywhere through all of his creation all the time, even among people who, uh, who would repudiate that thought. What do you learn 
What do you learn working here? How many years in, at the sanctuary? Um, 24 plus. So 24 yeah. years uh, working with people. I guess it's always hard for me to, to how, how do you describe folks who are oppressed, who are exploited, who are, I don't even know if I like the word poor because most of us go to financial, yeah. right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm poor in spirit, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and, and we all sort of suffer from a poverty of a particular sort, it seems to me, yes. whether it's relational or spiritual or whatever the case might be. But we often go to economic, you know, oh, poor people are on the streets and, you know, we have these huge, crazy assumptions about it. Um, I don't know. What are some of those assumptions that have been smashed for you? What are, you know, as Nietzsche says, the idols that have been tested? You know, um, what do you learn about? I mean, there's a few questions here, Greg. What do you, what do you learn about human nature in this role? You know, yeah, you're right. There are a few questions. A, I'm not sure which dozen, one to answer. Yeah, and I'm giving you um, 22 minutes to answer them. So let, let's talk about poverty first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when, when I, uh, I've got to the point where when I use the term poor, I recognize that it's kind of a catch-all phrase. Yes. Right? So... Uh, if you read the Hebrew Bible, you read the Old Testament, um, you'll find that that um, that those uh, Old Testament writers employ something like forty different terms that have to do with poverty, and and those terms uh, roughly sort into four categories um, of of eight to ten, eight to twelve words each, and and the categories are uh, first of all destitution, which you've just mentioned. People don't have enough. And I don't think we should discount that, by the way. I, I think that there's a real danger of saying, well, I'm poor in spirit too. Therefore, you know, let, let's let's spiritualize right. poverty and let's right. then then we don't have to really pay much attention We're to almost, material poverty. Almost equating it with sure. ours at that point. Material yeah. poverty yeah. is is very real. It's it's an oppression. Uh, and usually, almost always, it's an oppression because rich people are taking more than they need and poor people are getting less than they need. So we need to take that care of that, that. Hence your comment about oppression? Yeah. So the next category is oppression. There, there is a category that is about people who are being held down. That might be politically, it might be economically, militarily, culturally, you know, racially, what, whatever. There's an oppression that, that happens. Um, and and that often and these often intersect too, right? So often, for instance, racial oppression also means um, economic oppression, which means destitution. Um, and often those things lead into the next category, which would be affliction, which is which is uh, illness, weakness, that sort of thing. So that's a form uh, of oppression or, or poverty that the Old Testament recognizes significantly. And the last of the categories I always find really interesting. It's, it seems very, very progressive, but it's, it's essentially depression. It's feeling low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's feeling sad or, or uh, not good enough or any of those sorts of things that, that we've really only begun to deal with as a society in the past couple of decades, you know, out in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay now to say I struggle with depression. Yeah. Sort of okay. Sort of okay. In yeah. some circles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. 20 years ago it wasn't okay to say that. Well, the Bible was talking about it 4,000 years ago or, or you know, 3,000 years ago. So um, so those are the things that I think about when, when I'm thinking about poverty as, as a catch-all. And, you know, what I learn about those things is, is that, um, that they really are often rooted in, sim- in systems. You know, so um, this is this is where biblical teaching around justice really comes home. Is is that we begin to realize that that uh, 
oppression is usually a systemic issue. Um, poverty is usually a systemic issue. Um, and, uh, and often that leads to other matters like affliction, weakness, illness. So what we see, for instance, is that when people are poor, they don't live as long. They, they are, have more health problems. They're sicker. They deal more with depression. Um, so, so these issues really become rooted in, in systems. So, Greg, is it, is it fair to say for you, then, issues of poverty are always connected to, to material uh, it, uh, concerns, to, to wealth? Like, I mean, there, I don't know, is there a fundamental sort of underlying principle when, when talking about poverty because of the lack of access or lack of, not possessions, but the ability to, to um, do X or Y or Z is a result of often not having the resources? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I would say that, that I think that economic poverty is, is the foundation, but okay. I would say that all those, those modes of poverty are connected. So you exploitation, know, oppression, the, yeah, oppression, depression, depression, affliction, affliction, all of those things are, are, um, are connected, you know, and, and they're also all reflective of our spiritual condition as human beings. Um, you know, I, I've, I have been, for instance, in uh, a squatter city outside of uh, Guayaquil in Ecuador called Bastion. 300,000 people living in a squatter city, um, pirating a little bit of power and water from the city and so on. And, and I've seen in that instance what I thought was pretty significant civic health. Hmm. So these people had very little. They lived day to day. But they worked. They were creative. They had seemed to have really good relationships together. There was lots of sense of community. Kids playing in the streets right. and connecting with uh, with adults who were not their parents and so on. And, and in fact, I saw a greater, much greater expression of community and community health than I would see in a typical subdivision sure. in Canada. Right. And they were very poor. So, you know, so it's not all one thing. Right. Um, but I, but I think these things are, are all connected. And, and I would say that, that um, it's quite possible to be materially poor and spiritually rich. Um, it, but that doesn't mean that, that um, you know, people who are materially rich can just say, well, we'll leave them to their, <laughs> their spiritual wealth. Right, um, right. There's a, there's a fundamental justice, there's an equity issue here. And there's, a, there's a, also a deep fundamental responsibility that we have as members of the human race to recognize each other as kin um, and, and not just my own immediate tribe. So I'm just going to viscerally re sort of react to that. Why? Why do I have a fundamental responsibility to others? I mean, I'm with you. Well, it's a, it's, so I'm, this is an issue of faith, obviously. There's lots of people who don't believe that, and that's why the world mm -hmm. operates as it does. There's lots of people who say, no, I mean mine. That's really what, what everything is about and I'm going to get what I want and I'm going to make sure that the people I care about get what they want and screw the rest. Mm. I think that's a really Im spiritually impoverished way of living one's life. I don't think that ultimately there's a lot of joy in it. Mm. Um, uh, and, and I think what we, and this is, this is why uh, I come back to saying that, that living and working in a community like the one I'm in actually is a source of tremendous joy. There's often a lot of sadness in it, mm -hmm. um, and it, it seems to be short on happiness at times. But 
but there's there's tremendous joy in it, and joy is something of another order. I'm not sure I can even explain it. Mm, mm. But it, but it's deep. So you make a distinction between joy and absolutely happiness, happiness is is that situational stuff. You know, I'm mm-hmm, happy because mm-hmm, the sun is shining. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the joy is something that's sustaining and and actually can coexist with sadness and with need and even pain. Um, what do you get angry? Do you spend much of your week or days getting angry? Do you find yourself in those moments wanting um, to smash things? Yeah, occasionally. Not probably less so as time goes yeah, on. Yeah. You know. Um, and I don't mean about incidental stuff. I'm talking about those what you referred to before as you know the oppression, the the injustices, yeah, the, you know, the turning of a, of a blind eye. I get you know I get angry when my tribe, the Christian religious people, say and do really stupid, obnoxious things, which they do with frightening regularity. You know, so uh, that that makes me angry when um, the kind of nonsense that that mm-hmm. you hear repeatedly in the midst of the political campa- campaigns in in the U.S. currently, for instance, um, that stuff really makes me angry. Um, it makes me angry when when uh, I read in the news that the cops have shot another mm. young black man and have been um, exonerated for doing so. Right. You know, it makes me angry right now when our, our premier says, well, no, we're not going to tell you why Andrew Loku got shot or who did it or, you know, there's no timeline for releasing that information. Well, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, th- these injustices really, really bother me uh, a lot. There are the smaller um, frustrations and angers, too, that come when relationships, immediate relationships, feel like they're being betrayed. Um, yeah, but that's just the stuff of life, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You know? how, how would you say you've sort of, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know if it's fair to ask this question, but why are you still here? Clearly, you are seeing results. Clearly, you know, there's that sense of joy. Short on happiness, which is a great phrase, by the way. That might, maybe that should go on a, on a bumper sticker. <laughs> the sanctuary. We're short on happiness. Um, yeah, it's a long time. That's a huge yeah. commitment. You must well, have a great team around you. Because we're long on joy. <laughs> that, that's the follow-up bumper sticker yeah. series, by the way. Yeah. yeah, short on happiness, long on joy. <laughs> no, I'm I'm here after 24 years plus because I get more than I give. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would suggest that's the economy of the kingdom of heaven, that um, that if you're actually doing what you're supposed to do and, and living the kind of life that Jesus teaches us to live, that... Um, that you actually receive more than you give, uh, and I, you know, in any given moment, that might not feel like it's the truth. Right, right, right. There are moments around here that feel really, really bloody costly. Yeah, I bet. Um, and uh, you know, moments that involve violence or death, and and um, and it's very, very challenging, difficult, painful, frustrating, and so on. But over the long haul, I don't want to be anywhere else because mm. uh, I actually love it here. I'm not here because I'm some kind of altruistic hero. I'm not gutting it out out of a sense of of uh, conviction, uh, mm. you know, about mm. some abstract ideal. I'm here because this is life, and it's a good life, and uh, I'm having a great time. 
Um, I'm, I'm interested to know after so many experiences, several books, uh, you know, living in the middle of it, uh, you know, finding that joy, working with people where they're at. I, I love your phrase of, you know, I, I spend my time with people. What is it about the Christianity, the, the God that you believe in that's distinctive, that sets you not apart, because I hate that phrase, because it's already kind of, uh, you know, exclusive in a sense, but that that sets your, I don't know, approach, uh, why you get out of bed in the morning, your belief system apart from, from other systems of belief. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia, so sure, yeah. Hindus, Muslims, uh, mostly yeah. Buddhists. And, you know, I think there's a commonality of working with and for and on behalf of others. But I'm just wondering kind of, uh, I guess, about the motivation, about uh, what it is, you know, what's... You can't reduce anything to one sort of free or a bumper, a bumper sticker. You can't. So, yeah, so. but the difference is Jesus, isn't that? Mm. That's that's the qualifying factor. You know, honestly, without Jesus, I'm not much interested in God. Mm. <laughs> without Jesus, <laughs> I'm probably an atheist, at least an agnostic. Pretty cool phrase. So, um, J Jesus uh, is is such a compelling figure. He is such an amazing teacher. Um, and beyond all that, I come to the conclusion actually that Jesus is God. He is God incarnate. Um, and just think about that for a minute. If, if there is a God and this God decides I'm going to come and be one of the people that I have created, I'm going to live among them and uh, and I'm going to experience what they do from the inside. What a what a brilliant, incredible thing that is. Because now God is not far away. When we celebrate communion on on Sundays here, almost every week we'll talk about the bread and say this bread means to us that God became one of us, and that He knows what it's like to um, walk the roads that we walk. He so, knows what it's like to be hungry, to be homeless, to be lonely, to be frightened, to be afraid, to be betrayed. He knows all this stuff. And, and so I can trust that this great, awesome God who's made everything and contains everything actually is approachable. And he understands me from the inside. That's an amazing thing. That's a compelling thing. And because of all of that, the story of the cross, the, the death of Christ in some mis mystical, mysterious, sacrificial mode and resurrection means to me that even death is redeemable. Um, even the little deaths that I experience in my life mm. day by day mm. carry within them the seed of resurrection. That, that to me enlivens everything. So, okay, so if I'm hearing you right, you're not here to convert anybody, which is really interesting. No, it's not my job to do that. My, it's my deep hope that God will convert people, <laughs> including me. But so, it's, it's not my job to convert people, no. So there's very, um, very little judgment in what you do. Is that a fair question? There's very little sort of not. There's lots of critical analysis, but I, 
Um, yeah. I guess I guess I guess what I'm trying to get to is this idea of participation, this idea of yeah. know, race, this idea of you know you talked about love earlier. And yeah, so, I mean I hope we're not judgmental. You know, it's interesting to me that judgmentalism is the great sin. It's the one great remaining right, sin. Right. Yeah. Don't only, cast judgment on yeah, me. you don't. And usually that's what what where we hear it. You know. Yes. You don't judge me for yes. being yes. an idiot yeah, you know, right. or a yeah. jerk or whatever. Um, and, well, and, and the reality, yet, Greg, is we're constantly making judgments. Well, just read the newspapers. One, well, I mean, exactly. We, so, we, on the one hand, we adhere to this thing that judgment is the greatest sin. On the other hand, the newspapers are full of judgment of one person or another. And uh, and every time somebody does something wrong or and and it hits the news, the, the yeah, news, then I mean, maybe, everybody jumps on them. Well, the and I wonder, I wonder so. too, if the, the judgment I'm talking about is the kind that leads to sort of dehumanization, if that makes sense. So, a, so, a, so, a, so a demonization of the other. Sure. I'm going to judge you because you're this race, I, or you're this sex, or you're this whatever. Yeah. So I think right? that's, that's really. A kind. I think that's easy to do when you're distanced from the issue. Sure. Right. So, and yeah. I think that's exactly what happens. It's really easy, for instance, to read a news story or hear a news story. And judge that person that you've never met. Yeah. If if you're inside the story, if the person who's being castigated is somebody that you actually know and love and care about, then then your attitude is very different. Um, and and uh, and so that's the case with me. You know, I, my life uh, is such that I'm surrounded daily by people who struggle with all of the stuff that that. Uh, looks like it's lowest in the social order. Uh, I'm, I'm surrounded by people who exhibit criminal behaviors of one kind or another and, and on whom society has levied judgment repeatedly. But when I know those people, mm. not now as, as sort of iconic figures, but, but as brother or sister, um, and I come to love those people, it, it obviates judgment, if you like. Right, sort of sets it aside because now this is somebody that I care about, and yes, he or she has done this, but I understand why. I'm not I'm not justifying the action; it's still a bad action, and sometimes those actions are levied personally against me. Right. But it, but at least right. I get why it's happening, and mm. I have some kind of compassion mm. for that person in the middle of it. Um, and I and I think maybe uh, compassion is the antithesis of judgment. Hmm. Um, when you have suffered with somebody you and you know from the inside what their struggles are then then this is what sets aside the impulse to judgment and and this is also of course what's great about the story of Jesus is well, that he does understand so, my stuff from the inside so we got to wrap this up in a couple minutes but um talk, talk i mean you've been talking about it the thread is grace it seems to me yeah I mean that to me. If 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 there's a difference with within the religious context, as I continue to sort of unpack and read and reflect, grace is something pretty distinctive to Christianity. It seems to me, and yet, you know, to kind of come full circle, there's grace everywhere, mm -hmm. right? Sure. It doesn't matter what umbrella you're under, whether you're under the corporate umbrella or whether you, you know, work for an extractive company. <laughs> Kind of funny, based on the conversation I've been having over the last couple of days with different people, you know. But or you know, uh, whether you're a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian or, or whatever, grace is everywhere. It seems to me. So it's about recognition, isn't it? At some point. Um, anyway, that's kind of a rhetorical question. But yeah, tell, talk to me a little bit more about specifically that the distinctive grace-like 
presence. And I got, I got a quote I want to read from one of your books that I think is going to wrap everything up really nicely here. Because we're all about solutions here, Greg. Yeah. We want to solve everything today. We want to, we want to get we to the bottom of it today. You know, th there's a danger in grace. Hmm. Um, hmm. There's there maybe two dangers in grace. One hmm. is is that, that that grace seems to let people off the hook, right? Who you know shouldn't be let <laughs> off the hook, and therefore they never learn anything, and they keep doing the the, the wrong thing again. The other danger is that um, is a, a danger of maybe being, for lack of a better term, patronizing. You know. I'm extending grace to you, and the implication here is that I'm a higher order of being than you are, and therefore I can extend grace to you. Right, I've got right? something you don't. So those are dangerous forms of grace, I want to say. But the, the real form of grace, I think, that it comes because uh, I understand my kinship with you. I understand that you've screwed up on the basis of uh, my own history of screwing up. And my extending grace to you in your screwing up uh, actually comes out of the knowledge that I also am in, in need of grace myself. There's a sense of mutuality about it. There's mm -hmm. a sense of, of this kinship that I've talked mm -hmm, about mm -hmm, before, mm -hmm. that we are all of us in the same condition, mm -hmm. in the same boat. So, uh, so I want to be gracious with you. Um, uh, you know, I come from a place of great privilege, but... But the, the people that I live among come from places of great poverty and oppression. And, and yet what I've discovered is not our differences but our sameness. That's I've good. discovered the essential, uh, well, sameness, the essential sameness of, of our condition, the things that we need, the things that we long for, um, the hopes and dreams that we have are, are, are really very, very similar. And the way we betray those hopes and dreams mm. is very similar, mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's less, less extravagant in my case. I'm much more adept at covering it up and, and keeping the damage minimal <laughs> than my friends are. My friends go off the rails and they go way the, off the rails. That should be the title of your autobiography, okay? <laughs> keeping the damage minimal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for me, you know, it's, I've been trained how to do it. Right. I have more capacities right. in that area. But the essence of it is not different, mm. you know. So uh, if I'm truly being gracious as opposed to being patronizing to my brothers and sisters in this community, I'm being gracious because I understand that I also am in need of mercy. Right, right. Yeah. Sort of there but for the grace of God kind yeah. of in a, in a sense. Yeah. I'm going to read a, a, a quote out of your book, Close Enough to Hear God Breathe. Uh, published by Thomas Nelson a couple of years ago, I believe. The God, quote, the God who is love has by that love created the house I live in. Every tree, every blade of grass, every diamond-studded wave proclaims it. I take it for granted, ignore it, abuse it. Only rarely do I see it for what it is. Living in this love is the closest thing there is in this present world to living in the Garden of Eden and the closest thing to the promise of the glory on ahead, close quote. I think it's a pretty nice way to, to kind of wrap That's up. That's friggin' brilliant stuff. Isn't, isn't it awesome? It? Yeah, who wrote that? <laughs> Couldn't have been just a carpenter, was it? <laughs> Thanks for uh, joining us today. And that book is available. It's still flying off the shelves, from my understanding, at your local bookstore. I think uh, it's. Uh, I think it slips off the shelves once in a while. I think that would you, be more accurate. And what's, yeah. what, you've got something out... Uh, uh, my most recent book is called uh, Simply Open. Simply it's a open. contemplative path for busy people. Okay. Essentially, and um, you know, people who don't get to retreat from the real world. And you're working on your first novel, is that right? 
Uh, I actually am trying to sell my oh, first good. novel right Excellent. now and um, finding a tough time getting right. an agent or a publisher right. for it. It's a very secular kind of novel, so um, my other books are nonfiction and they're Christian, and so it's a different, very different sort of thing. Right. Right. Got another right. book in the works oh, nice. for next year. That's uh, that's about. Ah, it's called true. Uh, the working title is True Religion. I don't know what it'll actually be called when it hits the shelves, but um, it's it's about living out publicly and communally what we say we believe privately and individually. True Religion. I like it already. Sounds a little oxymoronic, if you ask me. But uh, I'll, look for, I'll look forward to that. Greg, thanks for yeah. joining us today. Uh, Greg Paul, author of the 20-piece shuffle, close enough to hear God breathe, and others. Uh, check them out online uh, or at your um, closest bookstore near you, I guess. Greg, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.